Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Before founding Driven to Excel Incorporated, Steve spent 11 years as an accurate sales consultant. Yes, the car business. A business with a reputation for impeccable customer service, right? <laughs> On the contrary, in case you weren't aware, most consumers carry a very negative stigma about car salespeople and the car business in general. So when Steve entered the business at 23, he was determined to make a positive difference by creating remarkable experiences for his clients. Steve's unwavering commitment to impeccable service earned him Salesman of the Year seven years in a row, all the while maintaining a Customer Satisfaction Index rating in the top 1% nationally. He worked by appointment only as his repeat and referral business 
accounted for 70% of his sales. This was unprecedented and translated into a comfy six-figure income from his 35-hour work week, which proves that by subscribing to a culture of impeccability, you're working smarter, not harder, and the results of your efforts can be quite rewarding. Through his highly interactive facilitations and motivational training style, Mr. Dorfman provides participants with the opportunity to excel in their industries. This is accomplished by first raising awareness around a specific challenge or need, then by helping these participants tap into their own unique abilities. As a result, they discover how to create impeccable, remarkable client experiences in order to contribute greatly to the company's bottom line. Steve Dorfman, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you. Well, it's great to have you on. I'm pretty excited about this, Steve, and I have to tell you why. Um, I am one of those guys that I, I feel like I always give people all the information they need to be able to sell to me, but they miss the mark. And here you are, this sales guru, this uh, guy who seems to just know how to to make the mark, make the connection with people. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you started this at just 23 years old. You walked into the car industry with your own mindset about how you were going to do business. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I, as it turns out, had spent four months leading up to that point shopping for a car for myself. So I got to experience exactly uh, how not to be. I mean, let's face it, the, exactly. you know, the business is grueling. And, and I got to tell you, know, fast forward 16, 17 years, and uh, I, I hadn't had to shop for a car for, for that long, for 16 years. And then a year ago, my wife needed to replace her car, and we went up and down um, one of these highways that had a bunch of dealerships, and we visited about six different dealerships. And I felt like I, I had gone through a time warp back to like, 1985, because there was, there's still all this old school methods of, of sell. I was just blown away that that, mm-hmm. it's, that it still exists, and I had been sheltered for for really a long time because I I really didn't need to go outside of Acura. That's you know that's where I worked, and that's all I had ever driven, and that's what I drive today. And I hadn't shopped for a car for all that time, but it still exists. It's still really bad, unfortunately. Now here's the thing, though, when you come in to a dealership and you're trained, you know, it's very difficult for you to have your own mindset about how things are going to be done. I mean, you're sort of walk through the process. So how is it that you were able to um, put your ideas out there or get your concept to work without the um, the sort of the stress and the over um, look of management upon, you know, your every move in the beginning? Yeah, that's such a great question. I've never gotten that question before. So here it is. Um, I was fortunate enough to be surrounded and led by people that have the same values that I have when it comes to customer service. Mm. So really the the heart of delivering a great, remarkable, impeccable customer experience is is just that. It's about customer service. It's not about sales. It's not about tips and tricks and techniques. It's really about how do I serve the customer? How do I listen actively? How do I ask the right questions, and, and really be present when people are answering those questions mm. so that I can cater to their needs, put their needs before my own. And mm-hmm. fortunately, I landed at a place. It's Rosenthal Acura in Gatesburg, Maryland. I landed there in 1995, and it just happened to be the, the place that supported what I was about, you know, when mm. it comes to customer service. And 
I talk to lots of people that um, even today, I've been out of the business for six years now, but of course it's um, it's still how I'm labeled a bit. And so today, even today, people will say, oh, yeah, I was in the car business, and then you ask them how long, and they say three months, six months. I did it for 11 years, but only because I found the right place. I really lucked out. <clears throat> I stayed in the same place for all 11 years. But if I had landed in another place, I mean, probably more than nine out of ten other dealerships, um, i I, I'm sure that I, I wouldn't have felt the same way, and I probably would have been one of those people that said, "Yeah, I did it for three months or six months." So, wow. Now, you were very successful. Um, so you you sort of, again, like you said, they were sort of on the same page as you were as far as serving the customer. How long did it take you to sort of really make your mark and become successful? You know, it's funny. I I remember them telling me. I haven't thought about this for a long time, but I remember them telling me that it takes about two years to start seeing the repeat and referral business come mm-hmm. in, where you can where you can really start to notice it, that tipping point. And for me, it didn't it didn't really take that long. So I'm glad I didn't buy into that <laughs> because I guess that's <laughs> the industry standard. You know, if you exactly. stick around long enough, then you'll start to see that repeat and referral business. But I, I think one of the biggest things is that, um, well, first of all, you, you've got to get really good at marketing yourself because people are buying you as a person mm-hmm. before they're buying anything else, and really they're not even buying a product or a service as much as they're buying the experience. So I got really intentional about crafting and engineering a remarkable experience for my clients, one that they knew that they couldn't get anywhere else. And whether they told me or whether they told me or not, how much they enjoyed the experience and how much I stood out and how unique that experience was, I knew that what I was providing was unique and I knew that it wasn't something they'd find just anywhere. So even if they even if they left, I knew they'd be back and it wasn't long before they were back buying something, but it wasn't all it also wasn't long before they were sending me their friends, their family members, their mm-hmm. colleagues, their mm-hmm. neighbors. You know, so so I started to see the the business really build and I gotta say that Michael came from a came from a vision of at 23 years old. I said, "Look, I, I said to myself, I'm building something here. I'm building relationships with my clients. These are people that that I'm really I'm looking to them as friends who are going to enjoy the experience. This is going to be a pleasant thing in an otherwise unpleasant um, you know expectation. And as a result." They're going to come back to me over and over again, and they are going to send me everybody that they know. And by the 11th year, I was at 70% repeat and referral business. And mm-hmm. to break that down, it was 40% of my uh, 40% of my sales came from referrals, and 30% of my total sales came from repeat buyers. Wow! So in those 11 years, I sold 1,600 cars to 1,200 people. Well, help us to understand this a little better. Um, Define for us a remarkable experience when you're when we're just talking about communication and sales and I guess listening and sort of meeting the needs and understanding your your clients' wants and desires. What is it that you do that helps to create this remarkable experience? Mm-hmm. Well, it starts with I think the fundamentals. There's two things. It starts with integrity, and it starts with professionalism. So I think it's important to have a conversation with, even even when you're hiring somebody, um, to ask them, you know, when I say integrity, what does that look like to you? How does that sort of play out in in um, in this business or any business you've been in, in the past? 
And when I talk about professionalism, when you hear that word professionalism, what does that look like? So I think those two things are, are the fundamentals when it comes to creating um, a remarkable, impeccable customer experience. And you mentioned listening. That's another really big, uh, obviously a very big tool. And too many salespeople just they, they make this mistake of rambling on and on and on about mm-hmm. what they're most interested in. Right. So in other words, you know, uh, I, I put it this way. It's sort of like uh, here we are on a radio show. Well, if if I didn't know what channel you're on, and I just started, if, what channel you're listening to, and I just start broadcasting, well, you could be listening to channel 12, and if I start broadcasting on channel 16, you're not going to hear anything I have to say. Mm-hmm. That's the mistake that a lot of salespeople make. They don't ask the right questions in order to find out what channel their customer is on before they start, quote, broadcasting. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know what you're saying exactly. And let me tell you what my pet peeve is, Steve. When I ask a question, it's because I want to know the answer. And I don't want to hear anything else before you answer my question because that's garbage. That is information that I don't need to digest. I just need to know the answer to my question. If you want to add after that, that's great. But how is it that people miss the mark? Is it just the training or is it just their own selfish desires or they're just hearing, wanting to hear themselves talk, as, as they say? I don't know. I think it's both, Michael. I think that uh, the, the training – I feel fortunate because I got some really great training when I was a new guy, and it, it has to do with some of these things that we're, that we're talking about. But I also think that it, it has to do with the individual. So I get this question a lot, can this stuff really be taught? And, mm. and yeah, it's, it's certainly – some people are born with it. There's no question about it. They have this innate ability – to really understand people, to show up as someone who cares, who has integrity and professionalism just in their DNA and customer service in their DNA, and they're great listeners, and they just seem to do everything right. And then there are those who who need to be made aware of those things. There's a great quote by, um, by uh, when, when Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, he was, he was a, the, the CEO of Google for 10 years, now he's an executive chair, with Google, Eric Schmidt said in, a, in an interview, the one thing people are never good at is seeing themselves as others see them. So if <laughs> you ask us, I'll say it again, the one thing yeah. people are never good at is seeing themselves as others see them. So if you ask any salesperson uh, what kind of a job they think they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and then you ask their clients what kind of a job they think that salesperson is doing, I bet more times than not there's going to be a mismatch for perception. Right. Wow. Now, it's the perception, but here's another thing. You asked the question, can it be taught? You you were saying that people have actually asked you that. And that, that was my perception, too, when I think about it. I'm saying to myself, well, Steve Dorfman's just a really good guy. You know, he's the kind of guy... <laughs> You meet him somewhere and you instantly connect. He's just that sharp guy who's a good listener and, you know, looks you in the eye and and seems to really understand what you're saying. And, you know, I don't think you can teach being a good person. So tell me what it is that you awaken in people that helps him to understand that there is a better side of them in communicating with people. Hmm. Well, I think as as a trainer... And as a speaker, uh, when I look out into an audience, whether it's 12 people or 1,200 people, 
I think it's important that um, I'm able to see everyone as their, quote, highest self. I think everybody's good at the core. I really do. I mean, there are very few bad or evil people in this world, uh, and, and even people that lack integrity. I think people genuinely want to have integrity. They just might not might not know how to sort of show up with it. So I think it starts there, and and I think that just believing in people and and understanding that there's a disconnect somewhere with 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 folks. And and here's here's one of the biggest challenges, Michael. One of the biggest challenges is that we're asking um, our frontline employees, who, by the way, um, in a lot of industries are between 18 and 25 years old. We're asking these 18 to 25 year olds on the front line to provide uh, this exceptional, remarkable, impeccable experience for clients. But how many exceptional, remarkable, impeccable experiences has an 18 to 25 year old had for him or herself? So what are the, what what examples, what experiences do they have to draw from? So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is. Um, we can't just throw people on, on you know, into the in, into the trenches, onto that front line, mm-hmm. expecting that they know what good customer service looks like, because their experience of the world up to this point um, might have been, say, you know, the the, Hamil- the the Hampton Inn rather than the Ritz Carlton. Does that make sense? Right, right. And um, another thing that I'm very curious about is. And we're talking about sales here, and a part of sales is negotiation. So once you get into that portion of it, and let's just take, for instance, the close, how do you still maintain that um, that presence that you've developed, even when it gets to the point where this is your job, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and this is how you make money? How do you still um, hold that integrity up until that point? I think it only becomes easier when you've had – when you've built a relationship with somebody and um, you have you have been yourself, you've been authentic, you've been genuine, you have put their needs before your own. You asked, you, you show up with integrity, you show up with professionalism, you ask really great questions, you listen very well to the answers, um, and you spent a little bit of time building that rapport and relationship with someone. Whether you know uh, the sales cycle depends on the industry, so it could be. It could be a 15-minute sales cycle, or it could be a 15-month sales cycle. But the rapport up to that point has brought you, if you've done it right, to a point where um, you can ask for the sale. Because look, that's what that's what they're there for. They came in for that, and you're you're there to provide that. So it's just the next progression, and it's much easier to ask for the sale when you've done a great job and you feel that you've provided great value. You know, that's the thing is, is when a client feels that that they're about to receive or they have received more in value than you're receiving in compensation, it's real easy to say yes. Now, what are some of the things that really um, led you in the very beginning to understand that you were doing something a little bit better than most? And um, what kind of comments were you getting from your clients that let you know that you were, you know, doing uh, a more than an above average job at what you were doing one of the uh one of, one of the measuring uh, tools was the the um the customer survey so these surveys would go out to every single buyer and so it was it was one of these bubble forms you know you fill it out on a scale of 1 to 5 how did your salesperson do in the following areas and then at the very back at the bottom of the back page there was a place for comments and 
my boss came up to me one day and he said, "What are you what are you doing to get so many people not only to fill out the comment section, but you know they're just raving about you. They're they they don't have enough space to fill in the comments. They're writing off to the you know the mar- they're in the margins and they're writing really small. You're like, what's going on here? You know, and so that was probably the first indicator for me that uh, you know I, I, I since the GM came to me and said this, I thought, well, I guess not everybody's getting the same thing, and it was just really neat to see that not only was I getting really high scores, you know, as you mentioned in the intro. I ended up in, in the top one percent of the country in in, um, in customer satisfaction, but to see the the specific words that that clients were using to describe their experience, it became really clear to me um, that what I was providing was uh, really way beyond what they had expected, and way beyond uh, and and far better than what they had experienced um, at my competition. Wow. And how soon after you started training did you catch the training bug? Because I watched your videos. I mean, you're into it. And um, it's a very intense but very informative. And, um, you know, I watched some of the comments, too, of some of the people who had come out of your seminars, and they just, you know, they loved it. They learned so much. And, you know, you could really see that these guys got a lot more out of it than they expected when they walked through the door. And, And it's amazing because this is something that seems to walk with you. So just tell us a little bit about uh, this training experience for you and, you know, sort of how that evolved. Mm. Well, it's funny. You know, I, I, I think that I have to start by saying this. I, I, this is funny because you asked me a question and I'm not going to answer it just ah, yet. Ah, <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> all right. So um, I see this happen so much in, in all sales arenas, and that is, um, a salesperson who does really well is promoted to sales manager. Right. And that's a lot of times a big, big mistake because mm. just because the person was really good at sales doesn't equal them being good at leadership. Right. So I knew that, and, I, and you know, I watched it happen. So when I started my company six years ago, I hired a business coach. I hired somebody that had watched me. For a couple of years, he was an outside consultant to the company, and he really knew he knew better than I did what was making it work. He knew he knew me better than I knew myself. Wow! And so he was the guy to hire to help me uncover these hidden details and how I was presenting myself to the world, to my clients, and what was having me connect with them so often, and what was having them become these raving fans. And together, we worked for 18 months developing a, a curriculum. So that I was I was able to deliver something that that people could really sink their teeth into and get a lot out of. And the biggest thing I learned from my coach was that uh, that that the training has to be interactive. It right. can't be one of these things where where the trainer or the speaker is is doing all of the speaking. The audience has got to they've got to participate. Mm-hmm. And I don't care whether it's a, a, a speaking opportunity. Where I'm talking to a room full of people, or if it's a, or if it's a training where I'm there for half day or several days, it doesn't really matter. The more you get, the more, the more I get the audience to participate in the conversation, the more value they're going to find in how they spent their time. They take mm-hmm. ownership of it. I always say your people will support what they help to create. Exactly. So, can, so, so by developing really thoughtful, interactive exercises for my for my audiences. They're able to uh, take ownership of all this stuff. It's not just, oh, that was a good refresher. You know, you hear that so often. People come to trainings or, or speaking, 
to see speakers and they walk away saying saying oh it was pretty good that was you know it's good refresher and then you ask them well you know, what's in your notes or what did you what were the nuggets you took away from it and they have a hard time articulating what they really took away other than kind of a good feeling mm. so it's really important that they get their hands in there and participate so that they can walk away with tons of notes and action items to you know to really start making a difference in their lives yeah, and it is something I think too, um, based on whatever your concept is, um, you know, a person has to really try it out for themselves and and get some feedback and understand. And um, that way too, they know that they got it right. And when they're ready to go out in the world and actually use what they've learned, um, they, they know that they've got the method down. But um, I was very surprised because I've gone to a few seminars myself. Uh, you know, I used to sell everything you can think of. I've sold life insurance. I've sold cars as well. I, I sold cars off the internet, so it was a lot easier. Um, people were very well educated and came in with more information about the vehicles than I knew myself. All I had to do was serve them. But um, what I hear people saying from the training that they've received, you can already see that now they're thinking that I got a lot of changes to make. You know, I'm going to sit down and restructure what I've been doing in my day to day. And um, you know, watch the success just come. So um, I think it's pretty awesome. And just tell us a little bit more too about how you're impacting people, doing your training seminars, and and how people can um, you know get a hold of this um, information that you're offering. Well, there, there's several ways. I'm 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 writing a book. I'm ten chapters into this book. I've probably got a couple more chapters to go. But I've put out um, the core chapter of the book, and it's available for download uh, by PDF or by MP3, so people can read it or listen to it. And they get to it by visiting impeccabilitybook.com. And I've got a blog uh, where I, I post regularly. One of the things that I started doing this year was providing an impeccable customer service tip of the day. So... This came from the idea that uh, newsletters are or have become passe, um, mm-hmm. these monthly newsletters. And um, it's something I did for a long time, but let's face it, most people don't have time or they're, or they're not, they don't have the attention span when they're sitting at their computers to read an entire newsletter. They might skim it if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is um, people really want to receive their information in sound bites. I think we all have... Uh, we all have ADD when we're sitting at our computers. We can only pay attention to so much for so long. So out of that came this impeccable customer service tip of the day, and it's super short. It's typically one or two sentences. And so it's designed for you to just kind of like get it. It it shoots out at 6.30 in the morning, so it can be one of the first things that that you read in the morning. And, you know, how long does it take to read a sentence or two, right? Just uh, seconds. Mm -hmm. And it's designed what i've done is i've taken these one or two sentences or really um could easily be turned into an entire two-page article but i've distilled all that down to one or two sentences so that your mind begins to wrap itself around the concept and those one or two pages um you can develop on your own so you start to re- it, it provokes thought that's the idea is the one or two sentences these quick tips provoke thought not only for yourself but for your team. So what I've been hearing people tell me is that they're that they're sharing these with their with their team members. They're sending them out to they're sharing them by you know talking about them, discussing them, but they're also um, sending them out to the people that they think need them the most. 
or sometimes they're just relevant to a recent conversation. I've had a lot of people say, man, you know, I get these tips every day, and it's just like, how do you know it's exactly what I needed to read that day? You know, <laughs> so it, it's neat how that how that kind of how that kind of plays out. Um, so that's another way that uh, another way that I'm that, that that I'm working to provide value and, and impact my my audience with these these quick tips. And you know, if, if people want longer articles, they can visit the blog. They'll find both the quick tips and the uh, and the longer articles there, so they can get there, you know, from my website, which is driven to excel.com. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, I'm actually on it right now, and um, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are, are checking you out as well. Now, um, you also have uh, a TV show that you're doing, and tell us a little bit about that in the format. Yeah, so two and a half years ago, we started doing the, uh, the show. It's called We Mean Business, and um, there's two ways that people can get to it. It airs in Montgomery County, Maryland, for those folks who have Comcast or Verizon. It's on Channel 16. Uh, but we post all of our shows online. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the website is wemeanbiz.tv. We've, we've done more than 50 interviews in the two and a half years, and all of our shows are on the website uh, in their entirety. So these are half-hour mm-hmm. shows. that um, and, and the idea of We Mean Business is to share strategies for success. Um, our target, target audience is small to medium-sized businesses. And so what we do is we bring on folks that we, we really view as experts in their field. A lot of times it's best-selling authors. Uh, we, recorded, we recorded a show this morning with um, a gentleman named Rohit Bargava. He wrote a, a book called Personality Not Included, which, which, came, which became the number one selling book on Amazon in its in its uh, category of global marketing, and he's um, he, he's now releasing a new book next month called Lycanomics, and Lycanomics mm-hmm. is is about the uh, the unexpected truth behind earning trust, influencing behavior, and inspiring action, and I think this thing is just going to take it's going to soar. I mean, wow. it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, so we look we 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 look to experts like this, thought leaders, really. I mean, mm-hmm. this guy Rohit, he's a thought leader. Um, he's able to he's able to see further out than most people can see, and we just love having thought leaders on the show share their expertise with our with our with our audience. And we're fortunate enough, you know, being in the D.C. area, we uh, we're actually close in proximity to a lot of really great authors and and mm-hmm. um, and, and experts. So you know, this is uh, Dan Pink is another another one. He's one of our favorite authors. happens to happens to live in D.C. So we had him in the studio. Oprah had interviewed him a couple times before that. So we're really fortunate to be in a great place. And if somebody's not local, then once in a while what we'll do is we'll just we'll just interview them via Skype and have them on the show that way. So mm-hmm. it's so it's you know we our our mission is really just again to share strategies for success and bring people on that that are willing to be generous and provide lots of value for our viewers. Oh, that's awesome. And um, we'll have another conversation offline as well about um, some of the things you could do with your um, the content that you're already producing. Putting it on your website is great, but there are a lot of web syndication services as well that are looking for TV series like yours. They just want to know that you're going to do it at least weekly or so. And um, I, I think that will be another good resource for you. Um, the industry is changing so much. I'm actually creating a um, a public studio just for digital content like yours, and um, it will be very low cost, and um, it will be something that I think, because you 
as you said, there are a lot of people in this area, not only producing content, but there are a lot of really amazing folks that really have a great message. They just need a venue and um, public access and um, radio stations and things like that in this area. They only have a limited amount of time. So I really want to just blow up this market as well. And um, tell us a little bit about how you found your way to the Oprah show. <laughs> oh boy. Uh so that's that's a that's a very personal story that goes beyond business. Um so where do I start? This is so <laughs> I I haven't talked about it in a while. It was four and a half years ago that we were on the show. So my family was on the show because my mom was struggling with um with compulsive hoarding, which we know is a form of O C D. Mm-hmm. And before you saw all these shows pop up on um, on A and E and TLC, all these shows about hoarding, uh, this was the show that really that really um, birthed all of those shows and really raised the awareness for the nation um, and really globally. Uh, Oprah was viewed in 117 countries, and this ended up being the the most watched and most talked about show of of that season in uh, in 2007. Uh, and I think it's because there are a lot of people grappling or struggling with uh, compulsive hoarding uh, to different degrees. Thankfully, um, the the degree to which my, my mom was dealing with it wasn't um, one of these things where you see homes full of trash, you know, old wrappers from fast food and, you know, um, uh, dying animals in the house and things like that. It wasn't that. Um, basically, she was a shopaholic um, with emptiness syndrome. Uh, she had just lost her all of her immediate family. Her dad had passed away years prior, but her, her mom, her sister, and her brother all passed away within five years of each other and mm-hmm. she was feeling very alone and so mm-hmm. you know, all the all the um all these things sort of led her to try to fill a void. And the the only way that, that she knew how was to fill the house with stuff, just all kinds of stuff. So she just um they they live in a in a um, in Montgomery County, it's an average-sized home. It's about 3,000 square feet. But there was only about 200 square feet of of, um, of what they called goat pads, you know, places where you could actually walk. And so the stuff was just piled up everywhere as far as she could reach. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I, uh, we just decided one day, this is bigger than any of us, and we don't want our parents to live, live like this anymore. So we showed up on a Saturday morning with a video camera, and... We got my mom to agree to go on camera. That took a lot of coaching and coaxing, but um, we sent the video in. And five months later, we were—we were—I um, I got a call from one of the producers, and they—they uh, they arrived shortly thereafter. Peter Walsh, who is an organizational expert, um, who's got his own TV show on the OWN channel, but before mm-hmm. that had a show on TLC called Clean Sweep. Um, yeah. He's the—he's you know, the guru when it comes to um, when it comes to um, organization. And so anyway, he was the one that came out and really spearheaded the whole thing with a couple of Oprah's producers. They spent two months with us and they mm. hired and they hired a company that um that really provides the labor to come in and, and clean you know, clean house. I mean literally clean house. And so it was a two month process. Uh, my parents it was almost like extreme makeover a home edition because they really pretty much gutted everything. My parents got all new Everything from these sponsors like Lowe's and Broyhill and wow, you know, it's just a, a, a huge blessing. And mm-hmm. so we ended up going, um, you know, going to Chicago and and doing two two shows. There was a part one and a part two, so two full hours 
uh, and then they had us back for a Hall of Fame show about four months after that. So I know it's a long story. I don't know how to tell it any, any other way. <laughs> hey, yeah, that's why we have an hour. That's awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just want to talk a little bit about that, too. I mean, how did your mom handle the fact that now her house was going to be changed but not by her hand? Was that a difficult thing for her to deal with considering how these things had accumulated? Oh, you, you bet. I mean, just just to get her ag- to agree to go on camera and ask for the help was the first step. And then we didn't hear anything for five months. <laughs> so, you know, so in her mind, she was when she went from this place of, okay, I'm ready to accept the help, to sort of resigning and saying, well, I guess mm. no one's coming to help. So mm. it was really an emotional roller coaster. And this is somebody who, my mom, somebody who wouldn't even let the Sears repairman in the house without feeling just, you know, utter embarrassment for mm. the condition of the home. Going from that to now allowing all of these strangers to come in and then the world to see. I mean, there are 10 million viewers a day of the Oprah Winfrey Show. So it was really something. And the thing that got her through it, Michael, was, you know, I'd, I'd stop by the house often. My parents live six minutes from, from me. So I'd stop by often and I'd see them, you know, going through stuff on the front lawn. And every once in a while, my mom would have an emotional breakdown, of course. Mm. And so the one thing that, that really helped get her through is, I would remind her that, you know, this, mom, this isn't just for you. You're going to be inspiring so many people who are also dealing with this. Right. Because there are more people than we know. The estimates mm-hmm. at that time were 6 million Americans, and now they say it's, you know, well beyond that. Wow. Think about all the people you're going to, yeah, isn't that crazy? Think about all the people you're going to be inspiring with with your story and mm-hmm. and, and where this is all headed because you know there's going to be a, a really happy ending here. We didn't know that they were going to do, make over the whole house the way they did. That was a really nice surprise. But just sort of, you know, putting herself out there and and letting her story be told in a very tasteful way because, of course, it was the Oprah Winfrey show. We wouldn't have yeah. let, we wouldn't have let most talk shows come out and, and do that. But but yeah, that's what got her through. Hmm, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm looking at a picture on your website now of you standing right next to Oprah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was. That was pretty surreal. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. And um, so, what is next for you? You say you got a book coming out. You're going to finish that up. Um, are you actually um, doing a, a speaking circuit, or how, how is it that someone can actually see you do your thing live? Well, okay. So a lot of what I do is for private uh, private companies and for trade associations and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Every once in a while, I do I do something that um, that uh, you know the general public can attend. There happens to be one coming up on May first. Oh, okay. It's it's for uh, it's for a group that I co-founded uh, with Mali Ponpadi, somebody who you know, oh, show awesome, by. yeah, yeah. Mali and I co-founded the Young Professionals Leadership Group, and uh, if if any of your listeners want to check that out, um, they can go to YPLG. That's Young Professionals Leadership Group, YPLG.wordpress.com. And they can and they'll see that the most recent post is a blurb on the session that I'll be conducting on May first in, in the Tyson's Corner area. And they can just reach out to me. My contact information is on that site as well as the other sites that, that we've mentioned here today. And if they have an interest in attending, I can make them a member. And I'm glad to have them there as my guest. The the topic for the talk is impeccability or impeccable leadership, more specifically, impeccable leadership, how to create remarkable customer experiences, raving fans, and increased profits. 
That's awesome. Wow. And I'll try my best to make it, as a matter of fact. I'd um, love to have you there, first. Yeah, that would be awesome. And, and Donna, um, too. Yeah, and Donna, too, if she can make it. Um, actually, she's in Richmond, but wow, yeah. We'd love to be able to do that. What day is that on May 1st? I don't have it on calendar. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday morning. Uh, doors open at 7 a.m., and the, mm-hmm. the facilitated discussion runs from 7.30 until 8.45. No, that's awesome. And um, if we could, um, well, we have to look at the calendar, too. If we can't um, get you on for as, the amount of time we had you on today, at least come on for a blurb and remind people um, maybe the week before so that we'll you know, make sure that everybody gets on board and you get the turnout that you're looking for. Yeah, the room's already filling up. It, it um, So, yeah, we look forward to a great turnout. Wow, that's awesome. In fact, I did this talk. Um, I did this talk a couple weeks ago for the Virginia Leadership Breakfast, and that's a group that was founded 18 years ago. And they meet at a at a law firm in the Reston Town Center in the Accenture Building. And this room holds about 75 <clears throat> excuse me 75 people. They had 95 people register for it. Wow. And so they, you know, they had to cut off registration, and that was uh, that was a record for them. And so I think that this topic really resonates, really resonates with people. Absolutely. And, you know, in today's economy, if you're in um, a sales-oriented industry, you really need to make the most of it. And, and your clients are your bread and butter. And um, if you're not careful, you could lose them to your competitor, either that or just not service them in a way that they would want to return. And, mm-hmm. and that's so important today, you know, to, mm-hmm. for people to really – um, hone in on really what pays the bills and understand that um, they need to do everything that they can to be able to um, put their best foot forward for success. And I, I just think it's great because you're you're doing a great service, Steve, right now. You, you really are. And it's Thank hard, you. too, to just, you know, stay motivated, too, when you're in an industry that um, you don't know from day to day what your paycheck might be if you're in sales and you're on commission. And, um, you know, I've done a number of jobs like that. And, um, you know, who knows? If I would have met you back then, I might still be selling. But But, um, I I just think it's really awesome that someone can look at something and dissect it to the point of um, being able to develop techniques to help them to succeed, that they can actually share with someone else and it works for them, too. And that's what's so awesome about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with everything you just said, and I think that the, here's the evidence of, of everything you just said. The evidence is in this recent economy, I feel we've seen a correction. And, and what I mean by that is when you couple a down economy with a decline in customer service, mm. what you find is that the, when I say correction, what I mean is those companies that have understood from the beginning and all through a down economy that providing an impeccable customer experience is really what it's about. Those those companies who really get that, that really understand that and and are really uh have customer service in their DNA, those companies thrive during even down times. Hmm. And so it's ama- it's amazing when you hear companies point to the economy and say, "Well, of course we're of course sales are down because because, you know, look at the economy." Well, it's easy to you know point the finger and place that blame, but why is it that other companies can thrive during downtimes? I'll give you two quick examples: one of a huge company and one of a small company. Um, huge company, Apple. You know, the, you know, I guess the richest company in the world now. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, first uh, fiscal quarter of this year, 
they did over $46 billion in revenue. It was a record for them. And, you know, that's, let's say, let's face it, you know, we're in a, we're in a down economy. How do they do that? Uh, customer service is, is a big part of that. They're also very innovative, and they're, you know, they have this way of, developing these products that we didn't even know were missing from our lives. <laughs> so they're, <laughs> right. they're, they're thought leaders. And then, um, and then you look at a, a small business. My co-host on the TV show, his name is Tony Marchanti. He owns Chef Tony's Restaurant in Bethesda, Maryland. Oh, okay. And, his, and he's up, he was up 37% in 2011. Hmm. He was up 37% between 2010 and 2011. He's in his fourth year of business. So it's like you look at things like this, and and you say you got to say there's been a correction. There, there, the, the companies that understand how to be intentional about creating a remarkable experience, those companies can thrive even during a down economy. That's awesome. And you gave two great examples too, and especially um, since everybody knows about Chef Tony from now, he's got his own little following, isn't you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, He's got and a huge, huge following on social media. Yeah, yeah, and um, and with Apple, I mean, when you really think about it, sometimes people stop paying attention to um, what their customers want and only look at the bottom line in, in a crisis situation, and that's how they sort of quickly spiral out of control and lose touch with their customer base. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've seen this happen over and over again. And um, I think you really just have to look at what people want and be focused on that and stay on that, regardless of what may dip. And uh, in the long run, you'll win in the end if you're continuing to serve the public and serve what people are actually looking for. So uh, it's just great to, to you know, listen to your insight and the way you understand how um, things work and are broken and how to fix them. So it's just awesome stuff. Well, glad to contribute. Yeah, and um, we're, we're just going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we'll close the show out. And I just want to, you know, do a, a quick little PSA for Bridge to Freedom, and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation, and yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, They can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, 
but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and we're coming to the end of another great show with our special guest, Steve Dorfman, Driven to Excel. Thanks a lot, Steve. Really appreciate you dropping by and and sharing your your knowledge and wisdom with us. It's great to be with you, Michael. Yeah, and um, please just tell everyone um, all the different ways that they can get in contact with you and follow you. Do you have a Twitter feed, um, your Facebook, all of that information? Yeah, I guess, you know, the easiest thing would just be to, um, there's so many websites, you know, but uh, one central hub would be driven to Excel dot com and from there they can get to the blog they can get to my my um my twitter facebook linkedin uh, youtube videos the tv show the impeccable customer service tips of the day uh and then the um the the, the book that's that's coming out later this year uh, they can go to impeccabilitybook.com and get a free chapter there oh that's great and um so that's a full free chapter to get them started in the book can be downloaded in its entirety as well from online. Well, it's at some point, yeah. The the book will be out later this year, but for now they can download the core chapter called Impeccability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And, and again, they can they can download it in the PDF version. So if they prefer to read it um, the, the old-fashioned way, or they can, uh, of course, on their screen or on paper. But then, if somebody wants to listen to it as an MP3 mm-hmm. uh, from their computer or or you know. Um, Put it on their iPod or their or their smartphone, or burn it to a CD and listen to it in the car. However, they want to get it. Um, all of that is available at impeccabilitybook.com. Awesome, that's great, man. Well, you know, we hope to have you on again at some point. You know, um, and not only just from before the um, the conference that you do, but um, we have to check in with you from time to time and just find out what you're doing. Um, <laughs> It's just been great having the chat with you, and uh, we just wish you all the success in the world, but we know that's coming anyway. You wouldn't have anything less, so <laughs> we <laughs> just you appreciate so much, you. And uh, maybe I can um, actually, um, you know, probably consult with you for some of the things I'm doing as well. So hopefully we can develop a relationship and, and tap into each other's resources and knowledge and, you know, help each other to further exactly what we do already. So That's what it's all about. Yeah, it is, man. And uh, really appreciate it again, and thank you so much for dropping by. You got it, Michael. Thank you. Okay. Well, Truth Seekers, we come to the end of another great show, and um, special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. 
Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. And watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you. guys and don't forget next week well this friday to join us for turn it up on blogtalkradio.com just me and the leo and who knows who'll be joining us for our show
Yeah. 